Radio Mano Papachango. and other family members. This is Mackenzie coming to you from the beautiful town of Waianae, Oahu. I just moved out here. I got a really great gig and I'm super excited to be here. I wanted to thank you for your books, your podcast, the Motherfucker Awards. It all helps me feel a little bit less lonely. But speaking of which, if I could, I'd like to put out a little ad. Um, I'm seeking friendship here and I... I was hoping I could find maybe some of my family members from the podcast. So um, I'm a cultural anthropologist. I study French. I study glass art. I I want to learn how to surf, hike these mountains, learn this culture, become a part of the community. So if there's anyone out here that's willing to just, you know, hang out, please hit me up at mackenzieishappy at gmail.com. That's M-A-K-E-N-Z-I-E is happy at gmail.com. Thanks again, Chris. I love you. I love you all, my family, and I'll catch you guys later. Hello, Christopher Ryan. My name is Alan. I am from Brazil and I uh, currently live in the US and I'm a newbie on the van life thing. I'm building it, you know, getting ideas how to do stuff, you know. Do you have any advice on pooping? How do you poop in the van? Do you have a restroom? Does that work well, you know? Appreciate your podcast and the experience that you share. Really like it, man. Thank you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Tangentially Speaking. Once again, I'm coming to you from a little courtyard next to the library in Stanley, Idaho. So if you hear hammering and cars going by, I apologize. But I can't tell everyone to keep it the fuck down while I'm recording my intro. Uh, As I promised last time, this episode is with my sister, Beth Ryan, an extraordinary woman who founded, uh, runs uh, a company called Stepping Forward LA. Uh, You'll hear all about this. Um, It's an organization devoted to helping young adults who are aging out of the foster care system, uh, providing them with life skills and leads and uh, practice and uh, job interviews and all the kind of stuff that a lot of us take for granted. Um, But when you grow up without a family and uh, without a lot of the advantages that um, come to seem just sort of normal to you if you're privileged, um, you really need someone to step forward and help out. And um, Beth recognized that need a long time ago and has devoted her life to trying to fulfill it. So uh, I'm really proud of her, as you'll hear. Uh, going from very high to us taking a very sharp turn, Alan, uh, I don't poop in the van, never poop in the van. Uh, either poop in the woods or I poop in a cafe bathroom, Starbucks, uh, truck stops, whatever. Uh, so it's not really a big issue. Um, 
If you are pooping in the woods, please do not leave toilet paper. That is the grossest fucking thing in the world. Your shit will become dirt in a few days, depending on the environment. Uh, But that toilet paper just stays and stinks, and it's like visually stinky, too. It it can really ruin a beautiful spot. Um, As far as uh, pissing, I do have a piss jug. So... There you go. And really good advice on that is you get a laundry detergent jug and you pull out the, there's like a, they have these, like a big lid. You open the lid and then there's like a spout and you pull the spout out and the lid goes, screws right back in, but you don't have the spout to deal with. So um, it's a, you're not going to miss in the middle of the night. My sister will be amused to, uh, to hear that. I decided to address that question in the intro to her episode. Suffice to say that uh, suffice it to say that my sister and I don't share the same uh, attitude toward bodily functions necessarily. <laughs> she didn't spend as much time in Asia as I did. I think it probably boils down to that. Um, anyway, I uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. I'm going to end it before people start hammering or too many trucks come by. Uh, it's kind of funny. A couple just walked by while I was talking about shitting in the woods. It's awkward sometimes having this podcast, trying to record in public. Um, but, uh, in a, in a month or two, I'll be back in Colorado. So I'll have a little home studio and you won't have to listen to the weird acoustics of me recording in the phone and things happening. Although I don't know, maybe that's fun. Um, speaking of weird acoustics and things. Um, I recorded a video for, you know, I do these monthly video Romas for supporters of the podcast. Uh, last month I recorded, um, well, it was last week, which was last month, uh, for August, I recorded, uh, a video of things that I use camping, some of my favorite camping gear, um, and sort of showed you around, showed, supporters around the campsite by the river in northern Idaho where I happened to be at the time um yeah I don't know I I had a lot of fun doing that strangely a couple of people said that it seemed uh strained to them and they thought that I was trying to get out of doing the video Roma I didn't feel that way at all I just thought it would be a lot more fun than me sitting there answering questions Um, but, uh, in any case, if you're interested in camping gear and how I camp and what it looks like, um, and you support the podcast through the website, that video is available. And then coming soon is another one, which is a sort of an interior tour of the van, the stuff I've got in there. Uh, so Alan, you're going to want to check that one out there. You, you will see there is no toilet. I do have a shower, but it's outside. Um, and it's very different. A lot of, a lot of people living in vans are skiers and snowboarders. So they have a whole different setup because they're dealing with cold weather a lot. I'm generally uh, following the good weather as much as I can. All right. That's enough for me. I'm going to play you out with one of my favorite songs about childhood, just because talking to my sister always reminds us of the childhood that we shared. And uh, this song is called I Wish by Stevie Wonder. Hope you dig it. Thanks for listening. Thanks for your support. And I will talk to you next time.
I am recording. Uh, this is a very special episode uh, where I'm, I'm sort of breaking one of my rules here. I'm breaking lots of rules. Um, one of the rules, as listeners to this podcast know, is that uh, until very recently, I didn't do remote um, interviews or conversations or whatever, just because I like being in the room with someone and feel like it's a much easier uh, and richer way to, to have a conversation. Um, and the other rule that I'm breaking is that I, until very recently, I've had very few podcasts with people who I'm very close to in my personal life. Um, and it's a strange thing because I try to be very unfiltered and uh, transparent uh, on this podcast, but I also am very protective of people in my sort of inner circle um, because, you know, for the last 10 years, I've sort of existed in this semi-private public space and I've seen, um, you know, I've, I've come to love the audience of this podcast because every time I meet someone through the podcast, they just impress me with their sensitivity and kindness. But I've also seen how harsh the world, the public world is and, you know, the Internet and all that. So I'm very sort of, I don't know, uh, I, I'm hesitant to bring people that I'm very close to and that I love into this world, um, you know, because I, I whatever. I've had experiences that make me feel that way. I've been talking for a long time here. Uh <laughs> <laughs> but my guest is used to that. Uh, my sister, Beth Ryan, has been my sister for, what, 54 years now? Yes. And how's that going? And how's I've that been, working for I've, you? I've been listening to you for a very, very long time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, before, there were, before I had a microphone, you were listening to me, right? Oh, I'm so glad you have your own audience now. <laughs> <laughs> It's relieved me of a lot of pressure. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Uh, yeah. Um, so anyway, Beth, my one and only sibling, uh, four years younger than me. We've been through a lot together. Uh, and we can talk about some of that uh, if you're feeling it. Um, but really what I wanted to, the, the main thing I wanted to talk to you about is your work that you're doing in the world, which... Um, you know, makes me so proud. And um, it's, uh, you've, you've always been oriented toward, I was thinking about this in the shower this morning. I was remembering when we were kids and we moved to a new town and like you always seem to end up with people that you could help. Yes. So what is that? Um, I think there was a part of me that felt um, a little guilty with all that we had and the closeness that we shared in our family and, you know, just the way that dad really worked hard to make sure that we lived a life of leisure and that we had fun and we went on vacations. And I just always met people that didn't have those experiences. So I always just wanted to share some of what we had the opportunity to have in our lives. And I don't, 
I don't know where that came from, that sense of guilt. But I mean, it wasn't a heavy guilt. It was like, I have this to share and there are people that appreciate it. And I think that, um, you know, just being able to share what I had made me feel really good always. So, yeah, it's definitely led me to what I'm doing now. And, you know, this has definitely been my the journey that I've been on has led me, you know, to start this nonprofit and to work with these kids and and just to give them a sense, a little bit of a sense of what, you know, we experience as kids. So tell people what it is you do. And we're sort of hinting at yes. it, but like lay it out. Yes. <laughs> um, so I am the executive director and founder of a nonprofit called Stepping Forward L.A., and we work with foster youth that are aging out of the system. Um, so they've either lived their entire lives in the system or they entered the system. Um, most of the kids that we work with live in group homes. So they're not getting the skill sets and the time with adults. And, um, you know, everybody that's working with them is paid to be working with them and they know that. Um, so we just provide a community and, um, teach them all the things that they're going to need to know and um, give them a sense of self. You know, once they realize that, you know, I'm paid, obviously, and the staff are paid, but everybody else there is a volunteer and they choose to be there. Um, and we just try to have a good time and, you know, give them a sense of a childhood at the same time as, you know, they really have to learn some um, some life skills that are, you know, going to set them up well for their future. So financial management, cooking, um, how to get and keep a job. I mean, all of, you know, getting an education for a lot of these kids. An education is a luxury that they can't afford. You know, if they have to provide and get an apartment, especially here in L.A., and feed themselves, you know, going to college is like, oh, yeah, that's a really, you know, nice thing to do. But I don't have the, the ability to do it. Um, but there's just a lot of resources out there for them. So we just try to connect them to resources and um, and give them that sense of safe place. Um, and I think, you know, we moved around a lot. And um, so I was always looking for that safe place. I didn't find it a lot of times when we moved. Um, but, you know, so it's important for me that they have a place where, you know, they can just figure out who they are, you know, uncover um, their skills and and really tap into what makes them happy. Yeah, it's interesting because you, you said something about how when we moved a lot, um, what best referring there to there is as kids, our, our parents, we moved. Um, I don't know. I went to three different high schools. Um, yeah, I went to four. Four different high schools. Did you yeah. really? Jesus Christ. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we lived in, I don't know how many different houses and towns and, you know, our, our parent, our dad wasn't in the military, um, <laughs> though he just liked I, I uniform. Would say I was just, <laughs> I always say I was just a brat when people ask me that question. <laughs> Not a military brat. Just a yeah, brat. Yeah. No, just a brat. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, it was sort of like uh, there was no systemic reason for us to move that much. As far as I know, he wasn't running from the FBI or anything. Uh, just getting, you know, better job offers and sort of, you know, living the American dream. Um, but for us, it was hard. Uh, and you and I, I think, dealt with it differently, um, mm -hmm. probably because, you know, personality, but also because of our ages. You know, I was four years yeah. ahead of you. And I guess I was 15 when we had that first big move. 
Yeah, um, and I was 11. Right. So, so definitely. That was, yeah. And being a boy I spent versus my puberty a girl. years, yeah. yeah. When you moved first with dad and I stayed with mom, so you were kind of like settled in the summer and I kind of jumped right into school. Right. So, in Connecticut. Yeah. 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 Um, anyway, we can come back to, to talking about that, but I just thought it was interesting when you were talking about your, your work that, you know, we started off by you saying that you, you feel, um, and you've always felt a uh, desire to try to give people something that you had that they don't have. Um, but mm-hmm. then you also referred to wanting to give them something that you didn't have, which Absolutely. was that stability and safety and all that. Do you think that there's, I mean, it's all, it's, you know, it's dangerous to get into talking about how one person's experience informs their understanding of someone else. But I mean, as you said, we grew up sort of upper middle class swimming pool, like money wasn't a problem mm-hmm. as far as we knew. I mean, mom and dad were dealing with issues, but, um, you know, you mom and I were insulated. Mom, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Dad's like, I don't, I don't think about money. Like, all right, buddy, <laughs> somebody's got to think about it. Mom, um, meanwhile, had rashes breaking out all over. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, but the credit card bills come in, Frank. Um, yeah. But, uh the uh what i was going to say is like do you think that there's something about the instability of your childhood that enables you to relate to what these young people have been going through now i mean obviously yeah, yeah. you know suburban connecticut <laughs> very is very different yeah. from a foster home right, <laughs> right. but just or just that home, feeling of yeah. dislocation like yeah. gives you some yeah. distant sense of how it must feel if you just like you know turn that up to 11 um you know gives yeah. you a compassion i guess is a way to look at it yeah i mean i think obviously to a much lesser degree but you know that sense of isolation you know being new to you know four or five six different schools you know everyone always talked about you but not to you mm-hmm. um and now i get to create an environment where you know all they all the young adult has to do is show up you know right. it's going to be warm it's going to be welcoming it's going to be fun there's going to be laughter it's going to be positive people in their life it's going to be um you know really allowing them to see themselves when a young adult lives in a group home they have to change their persona to survive you know it's like living at school 24 7 if you're getting bullied at school you're getting bullied at the group home mm. um you know if you um, you know, are the class clown, like you have to keep that up and there's no safe place just to let yourself be who you are. You know, like I was very fortunate and you were very fortunate. I mean, we were given that space to figure out who we are and we were able to make mistakes and, you know, nobody judged us. And so what I want to give these kids is a sense of that. But, you know, at the same time, every time we moved, you know, the popular smart kids, you know, they weren't looking for new friends. It was the partiers and, you know, the kids that, you know, were just looking for more, you know, mm. more adventure, more more people. So I'm just trying to I'm trying to heal that part of my soul that always wanted, you know, this lively, positive group around me supporting me. Um, but at the same time, I'm hopefully giving them a part of my life that, you know, they haven't been able to experience because they think that's, you know, what's going to allow them to see who they are. You know, a lot of times they'll 
you know, one young lady, I, um, I could just see the sorrow and the, the pain and the angst in her. And I just, you know, held her face and I said, I see you like, it's okay. Like you're brilliant and you're smart and you're funny. And she just sobbed for 20 minutes, just sobbed because, you know, and to this day, she's like, nobody's ever said that. And I've never felt seen by anybody. Right. And to me, that's the tragedy of these kids' lives. Like, they're forgotten. Who talks about foster kids? You know, nobody's talking about foster kids. Who thinks about foster kids that age out? I didn't know that they aged out of the system right. until about 10 years ago. Um, you know, and then when I realized that, I'm like, this is my this is my niche. This is, you know, what I need to do. I have to be a part of this. And, you know, it's, as you know, it's, it's a lifestyle. It's not my job. I mean, I, I absolutely love it every minute of it. Um, you know, my entire staff are former foster. They create miracles and they create programs, again, based on that. Here's what I wish I would have had. Here's what I wish I would have known. Here are the people mm-hmm. that I wish would have been in my life at that time. Um, you know, and now they're all successful and they have jobs and, you know, they're role models to these these kids that are still in care. So how old are so the kids? Just, no. Sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was just uh, to get a sense to really clarify for people: when a kid turns eighteen, yep. that's it, yes. right? They're out. That's it. So They're out kids, of this. Yeah. Out of the these are kids who, who you know, by definition they don't have either their parents are dead or they're in jail or you know in, whatever it is. There's a broken home. Um, they have nowhere to go. Right. And at 18, they're just like, okay, good luck to you. See you later. Yeah. So at 18, they're out of the system. There are resources still available to them. Um, They can still get money um, so they can get about $900 a month in order to pay for, you know, a place to stay and food. But what they have to do for that. Right. In L.A. And they have to find the apartment. They have to move into the apartment. Then DCFS will come out and their social worker will do an investigation. Then another person from the system has to come out and do an investigation. And then what they do is they send them a letter at that address that they have to sign and put a stamp on it and mail it back. Well, there's no 18-year-old. Leave it living in the best of homes that knows what a stamp is or, you know, how to mail something back. And then the check gets cut. So they basically have to ask a landlord, like, hey, can I just live here for three months? And trust me, like, this will all work out. And they have to navigate all right. of this. So that's right. what we help them with. We make sure that they get the resources that they have coming to them. And we help them find apartments. We help them, you know, get approved through DCFS. We talk to them about that process because when they're in the system, they can't make any decisions on their own. They don't know. They can't decide where they live, who they live with, what clothes they can get, um, what they eat, where they go to school. Everything's decided for them. And then when they're out on their own, they have to decide everything. But that muscle hasn't been developed. And like, how do you make a good decision versus a bad decision? Um, You know, how do you find, you know, if all you have are people that work in this group home and you've lived in this bubble and then you're kicked out of the bubble, but you don't know anybody outside the bubble that can help you through. So that's what we do is we work with the kids while they're still in care, while they're still in the group homes. We start when they're 15, 16. I mean, sometimes Mm -hmm. 13 if they're. You know, if they're really interested and able, um, 
And we just help them create a plan. Like, what is your plan when you leave here? You're going to leave here. Come to our events and meet people. Um, see some people that are successful so that you have that hope. Because once you lose hope, you just, you know, your behavior, um, you know, the decisions you make are based on that hopelessness. And so we just try to, you know, you're not alone. You're not isolated. We care about you. All of these people are here for you. There's resources. It can be done. Um, and that's what we try to do. And so well, we work with them through transition, you know, up right. to 20, 25, 26. I mean, we've never turned anyone away. And where's your funding come from? So um, we have foundations, you know, but foundations come with stipulations. And, you know, you have to write this whole beautiful, um, you know, proposal submitted. And then, you know, six months later, um, you know, you might hear back, you might not. So we have about a third of our budget um, coming from foundations. And then we also have contracts where um, we work with the group homes. But unfortunately, a lot of the group home funding has been, you know, cut. So we've been affected by that during this, vi you know, coronavirus pandemic. Um, but th the best support that we get is from individuals. So that's, you know, the people that appreciate our mission and want to be involved. Um, and really, we look at them as partners. You know, you know, we have a great board of directors. And it's funny, because I was listening to a podcast with you and Joe Rogan the other day, like talking about board of directors, and like, oh, my God, there's just like no fate worse than, you know, being on a board of directors. And, um, but I love our board, you know, I mean, they're real people, you know, we just get together and we try to, you know, raise money so that we can continue. Um, so without the board, you know, I couldn't do what I do. I have incredibly generous um, members of our board and, you know, people from the community. So we do fundraisers and, um, you know, we have donation pages on our website and all the rest. So um, we have sponsors that will sponsor, you know, particular events like our holiday party. We always get an event because that's a large chunk of money that we need to, right. you know, just try to. Yeah. And what, what how much of your money goes into overhead? I mean, I know you provide all sorts of supplies to ki the kids, the school supplies and clothes. And I mean, you're always buying stuff for. Out of your own pocket, I happen to know. Um, but yeah, what what's your budget look like? Because I know people who, you know, I, I'm always suspicious of, of nonprofits. I've worked in the nonprofit sector, not as much as you, but I've been there and I've seen like there's a lot of lazy, um, lazy people and a lot of uh, people who are just like taking advantage of the generosity, you know, and they're just skimming it skimming a lot not even off the top they're skimming like down to the bottom you know um yeah talk yeah. to me about well, and that that's un well yeah and that's unfortunate because they really put a bad you know name and reputation on all of the nonprofits. um we have an incredibly lean budget um you know our budget right now is three hundred fifty thousand dollars. um you know we have six staff members again they are all former foster um there is no laziness about them because they are so motivated mm -hmm. to help other kids and we, there are so many other kids in the foster care system that we're not able to reach just because of bandwidth um so, you know, 9% of our budget goes towards overhead. And, you know, all of the staff are program related. You know, most of my time is also program related. 
Um, we have a great um, office, which is in a big, you know, house, 4,000 square foot house. It's a collaborative. Um, that's really important because the kids get to come home. Um, so that's our, you know, outside of salaries, that's our largest expense. But, you know, what we get at that space, it's in South Central. So it's where the kids live. You mm-hmm. know, they're not having to come to, you know, Santa Monica or Brentwood to get their services. Like we are in their community. Um, and, you know, that's something that they can drop by. We have computer labs. You know, most of our stuff is donated. Um you know, all of our furniture, all of our, you know, anything I can get donated, um, I will get donated. And that's an easy ask. You know, I mean, asking for anything for these kids is an easy ask for me. I never thought I'd be a fundraiser, but yet right. here I am. <laughs> it's right. my my job. So how do you deal with, you know, you mentioned that the the office, the, the house uh, is in South Central and... Um, you know, most of the people that you're working with are not white. How do you deal with like, oh, you know, white lady wants to come and save us? Like, do you get that kind of energy sometimes? Um, I don't. I think that my staff kind of take care of that a lot. You know, none of my staff are white. Um, so my staff actually look like, you know, I do hear, you know, Hey, who's the old white lady over there? Um, and then I immediately hear my staff say, no, 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 no. Like, let me tell you who she is and what she does and you know, how much she cares about you. Um, they always make sure that anybody new that comes in, you know, meets me. Um, you know, I go to a lot of the places with the staff. I, you know, I've never, um, gone into a community as like, Oh, you know, they're talking about me. Um, I just always know that people are going to talk about me. That's what happened every move that we ever made. People talked about me and not to me. So that, you know, my my skin is very thick there. I don't, Hmm. you know, when I used to run a... um, The other program that I ran for gang prevention when I first moved to L.A., um, you know, the, the young black boys would always be like, oh my gosh, you should hear what they're saying, you know, about you at the salon. I'm like... I don't care what they're saying about me about the salon, <laughs> you know, like their lives are their life and it doesn't really affect me at all. So, um, you know, I just do what I do and, you know, people will either respect that and respect me or they won't. And, you know, I'm okay either way because yeah. I'm just going to keep doing what I do. Yeah. Yeah. That's the only way you can be. I think, um, I, you know, it's been a progression watching you work your way through, um, you know, work-wise, because, I mean, it's funny, uh, <laughs> a long time ago, you, like, right out of college, I, I don't know, like, you got that job with the software company? Yeah. With the, the antivirus? Was it McAfee? Yeah. No, um, it was on technology was the first one. And then Dr. Solomon Software, we got bought by McAfee. Oh, right. Um, okay. So that's, yeah. So I worked for two computer Boston. startups. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, I remember there was something, correct me if I've got this wrong, but I remember there was some story where you're like working, where were you, yeah. you were supposed to like hire someone, you were in human resources and you were supposed to hire an assistant to the president or something. And you were like, well, I, Hey, I should do this job. I, like, how did that work? Oh, no, no, no. So I, I was actually getting divorced from my first husband Um, And so I was just temping and I ended up at this, um, I thought I wanted to be um, 
like a manager coach kind of thing. Um, but I ended up temping at this computer company and data entry. And I was just like doing my thing, just, you know, not wanting to deal with my personal life at the moment, you know, because of the divorce. And um, the manager of that department was really doing some very bad things and messing things up and throwing things away that shouldn't be thrown away. So anyway, I took it to the her boss, the vice president, and he immediately said, would you um, would you take over the department? And I'm like, I, no, I don't want the department. Like, I'm leaving. I just need you to know because there's no right. way that you're going to know this otherwise. Perfect. So he went to hire me. And then the vice president of sales wanted to hire me as his assistant. And, you know, I'm like, I have a college degree. Like, I'm not going to be anybody's assistant. Um, but anyway, they convinced me with money. Um, so I took both jobs. So I was managing a department of 27 people. And I was um, assistant to John Rizzi, who, um, you know, is just an amazing, incredible mentor in my life and and really gave me the opportunity to, you know, do a lot of crazy things. And um, I love that job. I mean, that job was incredible, but crazy. I was working ridiculous because, you know, my personal life was in shambles and, you know, I didn't really want to deal with that. And so here was a place where I fit in and I was loved and, um, you know, people saw me for me and, you know, Hmm. it, it allowed me to get out of that space that I was in, in the other part of my life. Right. So, right. you know, it really allowed me to, um, you know, put everything that I, I was and I had into it. And still to this day, those are some of my best friends, you know, mm. in my life that, you know, I met there and just, I learned a that, lot about, yeah. I, I remember that was, that was around the time you and I talked on the phone once. I remember I was living in Spain <laughs> And you, yeah. you were like, so what was it like? You're like, yeah, you sound tired. And I was like, oh, my God, I've been working so much. Yeah. You said like, oh, my gosh, I put in like 12 hours this week. And that was um, at the second nonprofit or the second computer company that I worked with. And it was like eight o'clock at night for me. And I had been there since 730 in the morning. I'm like, oh, you got to be kidding me. <laughs> like, no, I no, can't I, really. No, I, I remember. No, I said. I, I put in 12 hours this week and you're like, wow, yeah, that is a lot. I mean, I've been doing like 10 or something like that. And, and then there was like this pause and you were like, wait a minute, you mean 12 hours a day this week or the yeah. whole week? <laughs> and you're like, a week. The I'm week. exhausted. Yeah. <laughs> For day. Like, Are you oh, kidding me? I'm like, oh, shut up. <laughs> you and your 12 hours a week. <laughs> Uh, that yeah. was a hard week for me. You should be more sympathetic. Yeah. Well, uh, I wasn't enjoying that job as much as the first one. Yeah. But, so then, but that's then the one that, that gave me money. Well, that's what I was going to say, that there yeah. was some, and, and again, you know, who knows if I've got the story right, but I there was something where like you had, they were giving you stock stuff yeah. that vested like the following yeah. year. So if you quit, you would lose lots of money right potentially because you don't get it until like the next year and you were like fuck it i'm quitting and i'm gonna travel around the world and you did you quit in like what november or something well the thing was i had two assistants and i was grooming them and i i told them like look i'm gonna work you know i'm gonna need you to really step it up because i'm leaving and i need both of you to take you know ownership of this but i didn't tell anybody else 
And so what ended up happening is the company was bought and sold to another company. So um, I ended up being able to like, they kept me on, um, they, you know, f flew me out here to California um, to train the next company and I had a pager. So they continued pay, you know, paying me and I got all of my stock options that would have, you know, invested over five years time. I got it all because the company was sold. Right. Right. So, so you, I didn't lose anything and I yeah. still got, you know, I got four months to plan my trip around the world and I took a year off and took a trip around the world and rented out my house and my cats and you rented <laughs> started out your in cats. Spain. Yeah, I rented out my cats. That's right. <laughs> I got yeah. big, big money for those cats. Yeah. <laughs> How old were you at that point? I was 30, 29, 30. Right. And you, so you were recently divorced. You've been working like crazy, yep. uh, like kind of unhealthy, super stressed. Very, and you're like, yep. all right, I'm out. I'm going to travel around the world on my own. On my own. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tried to, you know, I, I tied to a friend and we were going to go together and, you know, we did the whole, like, what are your A countries and what are your B countries and let's figure it out. And, um, you know, I had money at that point and she didn't. And, um, you know, it just didn't align. And I thought, you know, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to do it my way and I'm going to do it exactly the way that I want to. Um, and, you know, I was on the board at the local elementary school. And so we set up this whole, you know, where in the world is Beth Ryan? And they followed me on my trips and I That's did, right. you know, <laughs> um, and so I had, you know, all the kids following me and I went and I talked to them and, you know, from, it was an elementary school. So kindergarten through fifth grade is like, okay, like when I'm in Africa, like what animals do you want me to take pictures of? And, you know, then I had this great friend who posted all my pictures on our website and, right. um, you know, you so had I didn't like one feel of the alone. first digital cameras. I remember, like it had a, <laughs> yeah, a, a with, disc, with a in, like a, disc. Big, a floppy yeah. disc, exactly. <laughs> That's yeah. So but wait, what, what year is this? The, Sorry, nineteen ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine. All right. Yeah. And so, yeah, so like I was able to show like all the kids that I traveled. Um, you know, I went to fifteen different countries. I was able to show them pictures of themselves. You know, and these are kids oh, yeah. in you know communities that didn't even have mirrors. Like they had never seen themselves, so they would just like look and giggle, and you know, okay, take it now. And they do all these funny faces, and um, you know, I had a blast. You know, just a a great time. You know, just planning it and the anticipation. And so, yeah, I went I went by myself, and I mean, I don't know that I would do that nowadays. Um, and I certainly learned a lot about. Um, myself for sure, but um, just how community oriented, you know, everybody else in the world is, you know, except mm. for us. And mm. then I came back, I'm like, I want to create, you know, this sense of community, you know, and I lived in New England at the time, and they're like, uh, that's not going to happen. Um, you know, but I did it just for, you know, because I could and because, you know, the people that wanted to come together came together. And, you know, I wasn't trying to convince people like, you know, you need to come to the music series that we're doing in the middle of town. Um, you know, but the people that did want to come, you know, filled the place and we had fun. And, um, you know, so it really allowed me just to to go for whatever I wanted to do. And it did give me that sense of recalibration. You know, I had 
gotten into the, you know, a marriage that was in, um, it wasn't long term. Um, but you know, that taught me a lot about who I am and what I'm capable of as well. Um, and so I don't have any regrets on that, but I needed just to recalibrate everything in my life. And I did. And that trip was phenomenal and it allowed me to, you know, just kind of reassess life and what it should be and what it can be and, Mm. and what's possible. How long were you on the road? For a year. A year. And and can you run down the countries you went to? Sure. Well, I had to start in Spain, uh-huh. um, where visit you were, and so that uh-huh. visit my brother, yeah, who told me that I had packed all wrong. Um, so it's part of, that's <laughs> so part we did of travel little... is to pack wrong, you know. Every <laughs> yeah, I still well, do it. I still yeah pack wrong, even in the van. I mean, I'm in the van, and I'm in, I'm in the van for like five months last summer, right? And ninety yeah. percent of the clothes I packed, I never touched them i never <laughs> took them out of the drawer that i'd put them in it's like wh- when do i learn this shit it's crazy anyway i go took ahead. entire I, I took entire books with me that i still have not read like, I traveled <laughs> in the entire world two and a half pounds yeah yeah, yeah exactly well, yeah it's crazy no, our- it's a book i want to read too but maybe i'll listen to it on audible one day um yeah so yeah so i started in spain and then um you know it was the first time and you know mom and dad you know they've always allowed us to do whatever we want to do but um you know i figured that mom was a little more nervous you know if dad was nervous he wouldn't have said um he was just excited about the adventure so i took mom with me and left dad with you um and we went to italy um together yeah so that was really nice he was so sick and he had his little nose up against the train as we were leaving which was just painful to watch um and yeah so mom and i you know we had never traveled together and you know on our own and so Mm -hmm. that was just really nice for us to bond as well um and then from there i went to egypt um without mom and that was without mom yes and drinking Tusk, because I had some money, I traveled business class and, you know, just got one of those around the world tickets for business class. Um, so I had never been in business class before. Um, so they, we had just come from Tuscany and, you know, I had this great time with my mom and, um, and so they just, I saw a little, you know, Tuscany wine on the menu. I'm like, oh, that'll be nice. Well, they kept... Yeah, they kept like topping off my wine and I wasn't realizing because I was watching a movie. Um, Mm. And so I showed up in Egypt a little bit tipsy um, and just the aggressiveness of, you know, the people there and especially towards a woman traveling alone. And, you know, that was just very jarring um, and not I wasn't expecting it. You know, I I didn't Mm. really think through that. Um, But then from there, I went to Kenya and Tanzania went on a safari, which was just life-changing. I mean, completely, ridiculously life-changing. Um, went what down sense? to- How did it change your life? Just watching nature that it's got, nature has it all figured out. You know, the animals that need to travel together, travel together. The ones with better eyesight, you know, travel with the ones that can hear better. They mm. travel where like one will eat the top of the grass and the other, you know, eats the bottom of the grass. Um, you know, just even watching a lion kill 
Um, you know, I had never been on a hot air balloon. And so, you know, we went out on a sunrise hot air balloon ride. And, you know, we watched an animal, you know, a lion kill take place from, you know, up above the Serengeti, which was ridiculous. Like, and just like, as the animals, you know, the hyenas and the vultures, and, you know, it's just like watching how they interacted with each other. Mm. Um, to me, it just like, it made everything make sense. You know, it's like, mm. if we just stop and pay attention to nature, like, we'll be fine. And I think, you know, that's sort of what's happening in the world right now is like, we're forced to slow down, almost to like a grinding halt and just mm. recalibrate. Um, right. So yeah, and just the people that I met, you know, um, I, you know, I ended up going on this tour that was all of these senior citizens, but I didn't know that that was the tour that I chose. Um, and so like, you know, after four o'clock happy hour, they all went to bed. And so I ended up hanging out with the tour guides and they took me out, you know, like on the, the bumpy roads and allowed me to drive. And, um, you know, we went out to dinner and dancing and, um, you know, that was just, it was a blast. It was really fun. Mm. And then I went down to Zambia um, and we went whitewater rafting. Um, and then well, it's I, Zubese, right? Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. And it's the only like... time I've ever been thrown out of, um, whitewater rafting. You know, I've done mm -hmm. a lot of whitewater rafting, but I got thrown out and, um, and I went to Victoria Falls and where my, my digital camera got totally destroyed cause I was just mesmerized under the water. Um, so when I went to India, I had to find a new, so you're like, you're never going to come home with that laptop and you're never going to come home with that camera. It's going to be stolen. It's going to be, and I'm like, no. So I ended up coming home with two cameras. <laughs> um, so I had to find one in India. Um, and India was beautiful. Um, but it was also very weird because like everything happened outside you know, people got their hair cut outside, they took naps mm -hmm. outside. Um, you know, so I found that I didn't take as many pictures there. Because it would like equate to me walking into a beauty salon and like, Oh, hi, I'm not from here. Right. You know, let me take your picture. Um, Invasive. Yeah. And just like the way people watched me was very invasive, you know, back you know towards me so i certainly didn't want to be invasive but from there i went to nepal mm. and just fell in love the people were so warm and welcoming and you know we we walked everywhere and trekked everywhere um you know there weren't many roads it was just um just a beautiful experience you know just the engagement with the people and the kids and just you know the giggling like i can still hear you know them giggling and you know, they'd be walking by with like, you know, big wheat bundles on their heads and, um, you know, and I would take pictures of them and they're like, oh, here, you put the wheat barrel on. I'm like, OK, <laughs> um, you know, so we just like engaged in just a fun, playful way. So it was very different from India. Um, and then I went to Thailand um, and then I went to uh, Indonesia, to Jakarta. Um, and then I had some people that I met there, like, you have to come to Bali, you have to come to Bali. Um, so I ended up going to Bali and spent, you know, a month and a half there, which I wasn't even expecting to go there at all. Mm. Um, and then Where'd you I stay told Bali? Mom to, um, Ubud. Oh, yeah. I just got there yeah. last year. It's great. Yeah. Gorgeous. Great Amazing. Yeah. yeah. 
really fun. Um, and just the people that I met there, um, there were like some refugees from Afghanistan, um, you know, that were there. And again, I got to meet a lot of the locals. Um, and then I had told mom and dad that I would fly them anywhere that I was going. And of course they chose the, the furthest away. Um, so they met me. So I went down to, well, the whole reason for my trip was to scuba dive in the Great Barrier Reef. Mm. So, you know, I finally get to Australia. I finally get to um, scuba dive. And it was right after the two people, I don't know if you remember the story, that got left behind. Oh, yeah. By a dive Yeah, you remember that? Yeah. Yeah. So I I arrived like two months after that. (laughs) And it was like, you're not going to go out on a boat. I'm like, trust me, I will make sure I'm the loudest person so they know if I'm not there. And like, they are going to count every head, you know, 15 times right now. So I wasn't concerned. Um, So that was amazing. And then I met mom and dad, you know, in Sydney, and we traveled around Australia. And then we went to New Zealand together. And then I went to Hawaii. And worked with the University of Hawaii um, with their dolphins. Oh, that's and right. So, yeah. 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 And then what I came a home. Fucking trip. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it was amazing. amazing. So you come home, you don't have a job, you're back in the US. You were you're still living yeah. in Boston at the time? Yeah, I had my house in Arlington. Arlington, right. Yeah. And and what was your plan? I, I imagine you still had some money in the bank, but, you know, like, did yeah. you come home like, I'm intending to go back and get into what you were doing before? Or was it like, never again, no. I got to pick a new path here? Yeah, no, I was done with, you know, the startups and I loved it. Um, but I just didn't want to work that hard anymore for somebody else. And Um, So I really, I didn't have to work for about 10 years. I really didn't have to work again and make money until I came out to LA. Um, You know, had I stayed in Boston, I would have been, you know, fine with the money that I had. And um, I owned a duplex. So, you know, I had somebody else help in with the mortgage. Mm. um, And I had such a big place that I had roommates. Um, But what I was looking to do was to raise foster kids, actually. I wanted to take older kids into the house and, um, you know, siblings. And so I had the bed set up and, you know, mom got all my old kids books and um, and I was ready to go. I had gone through all the training and then, uh, you know, dad needed to have his liver transplant. And wow. so I was away from the house for about six months, you know, with them and, um, you know, at the hospital and then during his recuperation. And then I came back to the house and I thought, well, it's not fair, you know, because being with, you know, mom and dad, um, you know, during that time, I just wanted to be around family again. You know, I knew that they weren't going to retire to Boston, um, nor should they. And I wasn't going to go back to Pennsylvania. And so we have a big family out here in L.A. And so I just thought, well, I'll come out here and, and visit them while I'm, you know, away from the house anyway. Um, and one of our cousins had a baby, Charlie, who is now 17 and still the love of my life. And, and really the only baby baby that I've ever really bonded with. I'm not a, I'm more of a teenager bonding person than a, a baby person. He was a special baby um, though. He was so oh smart, such Ugh. a cool kid. Still is. Yeah. Although still baby, is, yeah. baby Charlie's like six four two thirty <laughs> now. Yeah. Yeah. He's still my little man. He just yeah. pats me on the top of my head now. <laughs> <laughs> From a distance. Yeah. 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 
Um, yeah. And then so you uh, you were out here visiting family and uh, you saw this house you loved and. <laughs> I bought a house on a whim. On a um, whim. Yeah, I wasn't. I wasn't really looking for a house, but our cousins were looking for a house and it was my last day and I was spending the day with them. Like, do you mind, you know, coming with us? I'm like, yeah, whatever. Um, so walked into this house and I just knew it was home and, you know, wasn't sure how to make that happen, but knew mm. that this was, this was a, going to be a special place for me. Um, and so they ended up putting a bid on another house and this house, they won both bids. Um, I had given my, you know, business card to, um, the realtor and said, look, I don't even know what part of LA this is in or, you know, whatever. Where am I? Um, yeah, where am I? But this is where, you know, like if you find something like this, give me a call. And so she called me and said, well, you know, here's the deal. Um, so at that point I added $5,000 to it cause who cares, you know, at that point. Um, and five hours later they called me back and said, you know, you, it's your house. So I had to do a lot of, you know, finagling and, um, you know, letting my roommates and my tenants know and putting my house on the market and, um, figuring out how to do a down payment. And so just, uh, yeah, and you didn't even my- have a job at that time. No, <laughs> but I mean, I put $200,000 down on this house. So, right, you know, right. the risk became, you know, less significant to, you know, and, For you know, bank. at that time yeah. they, were, they were giving mortgages to people that didn't have jobs. So <laughs> Exactly. They, they weren't asking questions. No, yeah. I lucked out. Yeah. Good time. Yeah. Crazy. Um, so, you know, I remember you you know, as you were, you and I are so similar, you know, I guess siblings will all say this, um, you know, we're very similar in some ways and complete opposites in in other yes. ways. <laughs> um, you know, I never wanted to have kids, right? Like, I don't think you ever heard mm. me say, I want to be a dad, like never. No. Um, no. Whereas you, it seemed like you always wanted to have, you know, this sort of um, nurturing, supportive role. You're much more oriented that way. Um, you know, even yeah, with, I, with our parents, like you were like, I'm going to take care of mom and dad. You, you can go, you know, do your thing and I'll be here. You know, well, even if I didn't say that, you know, what was the likelihood that you were going to be, I have to say though, you have come through in so many ways, um, that, you know, if you would have said as a teenager, like Chris is going to be there every step of the way in the way that you, you know, I love watching you and mom now. Um, you know, and it's just, it's been amazing, but yeah, no, I, there was a time where I wanted to have kids. Um, actually in Bali, I met a guy and was thinking, you know, if I have a kid with somebody in Bali, he's never going to take my kid. I don't have to share him. You know, weekends are not going to be an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, but I didn't get pregnant, so. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. That, I just I didn't find the right person that I wanted to have kids with, yeah. um, you know. Really, until you know my current husband, um, there was never anybody I would have had kids with, and we talked about it. But by that time, I was forty two, and right. you know he has enough kids of his own, so yeah, we didn't yeah. need to, yeah, yeah, but, and, and it gives it, me the the, the energy, yeah. 
to take care of right. kids, you know, and then I come home and I don't have to worry about anyone else's homework or taking a bath or eating or, you know, I can barely do that myself, but you know, so I get to yeah. take care of people and then have my space to refuel as well. Right. Right. I think that's, that's something that a lot of people miss, you know, it's like, well, I want to have kids. I want to like, you know, play that role in someone's life and, you know, give, you know, like there's that Beatles song. I was thinking about this Beatles song. Uh, um, I just need someone to love. And then they say, mm-hmm. can it be anybody? I just want someone to love. It's like, it doesn't matter who, you know, I just want that flow. And a lot of people think if they don't have kids, they won't have an opportunity to love people. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I'm sure there's a, a quality to the love that you have for a child. Oh, yeah. You know, although it's it's complicated because... I think, and and I don't speak from experience, obviously, but I remember interviewing, uh, or I was being interviewed, actually, shortly after Sex at Dawn came out um, by a woman on the radio, and I said something, we're talking about paternity certainty and how, you know, in evolution, there's this idea that men need to know that that's their kid or they won't want to take mm-hmm. care of it and they won't, you know, and then the, you know, the kids in risk of dying and blah, blah, blah. And obviously in sex at dawn, you know, we found lots of evidence that hunter gatherer people don't care who, mm-hmm. whose kid it is. They all take care of the kids, you know? And, um, and I, I was making that point and, and this woman started to cry, you know, on the live radio interview. And she said, you know, I'm so glad you said that because I have two adopted kids and one natural born kid and I could not love them more. All of them. Yeah. There's no distinction. This kid came out of my body. This mm-hmm. kid didn't. I don't care. There's no right. instinctive, you know, the, nothing. You, It's a kid. You love it. It's vulnerable. And, they, and she got them all as babies, I guess, or, or very young. So it's like her her perspective on it was like, no, there's no, it doesn't, the biology doesn't matter. And, mm-hmm. and I feel like, you know, so much of what you do is, um, you know, is about spreading your love out and your time and your energy and, you know, your intelligence, you're spreading it out to, a, to help a lot more people than you would if you had one or two kids. Oh, I couldn't do this work if I had kids at home. I mean, there's just no way because I wouldn't have the energy. I wouldn't have the patience. So, like, I wouldn't come across as kind all the time, Um, you know, where now I get to, you know, pick and choose how much I give, you know. And I have a whole staff that also is, you know, spreading their love and their care and their attention. Um, All of our volunteers, you know, 90 percent of our volunteers do not have kids, you know. So they also want to experience that love and that, you know community um but they they're not ready for kids right now or they don't want to have kids and um you know so for me there's no way i could do this job if i had kids of my own and that was you know a very conscious effort um and decision on my part um you know there were several times in my life where i could have had kids and i chose not to have kids because um this was my path you know this was the the right direction for me 
So, yeah. And I mean, these kids and, and Charlie and, you know, like Mike Lang's kids, like I couldn't yeah. live the, love those kids anymore. Yeah. You know, I mean, they're they're amazing kids. Like they're a part of, of me. And, you know, no, I didn't give birth to any of them. Um, but that doesn't mean I can't see the, you know, incredible intelligence and beauty and, um, you know, resourcefulness. I mean, they, these kids that live in group homes and live in the foster care system are as amazing as any kid you'll ever meet. You know, they are more authentic. They are more genuine. Um, you know, they don't mess around with bullshit. You know, there's, I mean, some of them, you know, drama is what they've been taught in the system, but, you know, we don't allow the drama. We don't allow the gossip. We don't allow, you know, I even tell my volunteers, like, you can't be whispering in the corner because these kids are going to think that you're talking about them. Like, even if you're not. So this right. has to be a really safe place. And, you know, and we just have people, you know, our, adult, our adults come and the kids wrap them up in, you know, tissue paper and dress them like mummies and, you know, watch them like jump across the, you know, the yard. And we hang donuts from strings and, um, you know, we have pinatas and musical chairs as a full contact sport, um, you know, and they just get to be kids. And yeah. to me, that's that makes everything worthwhile. Like when I am at a first Saturday or an event and I just hear giggling, I know I did a good job that day. You know, I know that we created the right space for the kids to, you know, to enjoy each other's company and to build that peer community as well. You know, that's really important because they're not in it alone. Yet, you know, I never met a foster care, um, you know, a kid in foster care that doesn't feel alone. It's like, look, you have, there's 80 people here. Like you can't go to bed tonight and think you're alone in this world anymore because you're not like we're here, you know, we're here every month. We're here every day. You know, we're reaching out to you on social media. And this time is really hard because we can't physically be with a lot of the kids. Mm. So, you know, we're boxing up, you know, notepads and candy and games and puzzles and books and, you know, taking them to the group homes and dropping off pizzas. And, you know, so like they still know we're here, you know, and, and we're going to be here. So. Yeah, I, I have um, you reminded me of a, a friend I have who's I think she's 20 or maybe 21 and you hang out with her and, and you know, I'm 58 uh, her boyfriend's in his forties. He's a good friend of mine. Um, so, you know, we hang out there are people of all ages, but she's always the youngest one by far. And, but she's totally cool. She's totally chill, totally relaxed, you know, is like in the conversation she's, and I, I was hanging out with her not too long ago. And I said to her like, Hey, uh, you're incredibly mature for your age. Like how, how, what, how do you explain that? And she said, trauma. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah. One, one word is all you yeah. need. Yeah. She's like, I've I been through some shit, man. Say, yeah. I thought she was going to say to you, you were really immature for your age. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Beth. Uh, you know, I, another thing I was thinking of uh, when you were talking about, um, you know, this whole sort of being able to, you know, loving, you know, you mentioned Mike Lang, who people you know, might say, who the hell is Mike Lang? He's my best buddy. Uh, um, and he's sort of part of our family. And then when he had kids, it was as if 
you know, mom and dad had grandkids for the first time. And, and yeah. um, thank God uh, you and I God. haven't had kids, so they don't have the biological grandkids. But, you know, they've got those kids yeah. picture on the fridge. And, you know, it's like yeah. so what I was thinking is like interesting that, you know, our parents sort of modeled for us the fact that you don't need to be related in order to be family. Mm-hmm. You know, um, yeah. which is an interesting thing for your parents to model for you. Like both of us have had our boyfriends and girlfriends living with mom and dad after yeah. we split up with that boyfriend and girlfriend. I, I was in college and he was still living with mom and dad. I'd well, call I, and but, yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. No, I know about you. Um, I was <laughs> well, I was in college girlfriend. too. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I was still at home with yours. Uh, yeah, I would, call, <laughs> I would call up. I'm like, hey, what's going on? Like, oh, we're eating dinner. Can we call you back later? I'm like, excuse me. Like, you can't take a little bit of time to talk to me. You have to like go and have a family moment together while yeah, I'm up with, here. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, so. yeah. It, it's a funny thing. Like in in both our cases, like we were kind of. I mean, I don't know the specifics of yours. Mine was a total mess, but uh, kind of in a relationship. <laughs> well, my- then I go to college, and she stays there, living with you and mom and dad, and 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 uh, my boyfriend at the time, Doug. Oh, he was there too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the first time. So I was fifteen years old, and mom and dad allowed my boyfriend to live with us. Can you imagine? Yeah. Like looking at a 15 year old, like, yeah, have your boyfriend move in into our, you know. Yeah. And then Anna well, was still there. Doug and yeah. Anna would fight like cats and dogs. I mean, just like fight about like how poor they were. And, you know, we had a really nice house in Jacksonville. Like I had my own little wing with our yeah. pool table and, you know, and I would just leave them fighting. I'm like, I'm going to go to the wine cellar and uh, put a steak on the grill like anybody you know, want to stop your conversation about, you know, you survived on rice for years. But yeah, that was an interesting time. Yeah, a lot of a uh, lot of stress and uh, yeah, yeah, strange, strange days. Um, so let's uh, I mean, I'm not sure if this is related to that, uh, but. You know, talking to you now and and sort of looking at your life, the trajectory of your life, you know, looking, uh, you know, retroactively looking, you know, hindsight 2020 and all that stuff. It kind of makes sense that you are doing what you're doing now. Um, you know, what you know, you're concerned for for other people who, you know, aren't as fortunate as you are in some ways and wanting to try to balance that and, um, and your, your thing about kids and, and, you know, your, um, sort of discontent with money as, a you know, you had it, both of us have, we've both been in a position where it's like, Oh, I'm making a shit ton of money and I could keep doing this and be a millionaire. And both of us were like, nah, fuck it. I'm out of here. This isn't enough. Um, you know, and also in your trajectory, one thing I was going to get into earlier is like, I saw you working in these nonprofits, uh, previously and being extremely unhappy. Um, so unhappy. and I remember saying to you like, you know, Beth, you need to run the show. 
you need to be the boss. You can't work for other people because you're too demanding. You make everyone else look bad because you're working too hard. And the only way that works is if you're the boss, right? Because otherwise you're making your boss look bad. And then that creates all these tensions and blah, blah, blah. So I'm so glad, you know, I don't know how long ago it was now, 10 years or something, but you you finally were like, fuck it, I'll start my own organization, run it my own way, you raise the money myself, do what I want to do, and you took control and it it's worked. And I'm not giving myself any credit. I'm just saying I recognized, you know, you're born to lead this thing. You're not born to follow someone else's um, lead and you're... You're so transparent and honest, you know, which is really necessary for those donors to know, like, their money. They know where their money's going. There's no oh, yeah. question. But they, they can come and see, you know, and, and right. experience. And that's really the biggest impact we have. Um, but, yeah, I mean, this was always my my destination, like I knew from a very early age, you know, dad used to come home and talk to me about his work and I would get excited about the boardrooms, you know, that he talked about. And um, but I needed the experience to learn, you know, like I, hmm. you know, I was vice president of one foundation and, you know, in one day they gave me all of the responsibility for a three point five million dollar budget. Well, you know, I'd never done a financial sheet before. And so mm. I did my best and then I had to present it to literally, you know, millionaires that were on this this board. And one of them, you know, who is the CFO at the 99 cent store, he said to me, like, you've never done a financial report before, have you? And I'm like, I haven't. But like, I trust, like, trust me, I will figure it out and I will, you know, take any guidance you'll give me. Um, so I needed those experiences to know what I'm doing now. You know, I went back and got my master's specifically to start this nonprofit because right. I needed the time to do the research and, you know, figure out, you know, how am I going to build this board? Um, you know, and so everything is a really strong foundation, um, you know, and I'm really proud of it, but I needed those experiences to learn what I needed to know, you know, cause I had a nonprofit before um, and I didn't have the right people on the board. You know, I had, friends and family and I, you know, didn't have enough donors. Um, so, and I remember sitting in the living room, you know, with you and dad and mom, and we came up with the name stepping forward and like what it meant and the energy around it and the Lao Tzu. And, um, you know, like to me, that's such a strong part of who, who we are, you know, how we exist today. Cause it, it really involves everybody. You know, our mentors are essential. You know, they are essential to these relationships because, you know, if it's just the staff and I were limited to the, you know, quantity and the breadth of relationships we can have. So the more volunteers, you know, and again, like right now, it's hard to engage volunteers, but, um, you know, we're doing a lot of really interesting, fun things. And, you know, we're going to put all these videos online and they're going to play a big role in that. Um, so, you know, I think moving around allowed me to realize um, change is going to happen. So just go with it. Don't fight it. And so every adjustment we've had to make, you know, a lot of our, our donors, like you're so nimble and, you know, you're so like ready to adjust. Um, and that's because of my past, you know, like right. it wasn't fun while it happened. But 
I also got to live in a lot of different places and experience a lot of different people. And, um, you know, some were good and some were bad. And I just try to bring all of that to what we're doing now. And, you know, for the first time in my life, I get to choose who's in my community. Right. I get to choose every single person. I don't, there's no room for anybody that has any ill intent or bad intention. Mm-hmm. It is just all the most beautiful, amazing people. Um, yeah. And so, you know. And you met your I, husband through it too, which is pretty cool. I, I love that did. story. So tell <laughs> tell did. that story, if you don't mind, of how he sort of he slithered into your life. <laughs> kept coming Um, Well, I mean, running a nonprofit, you know, you design everything and you recruit everybody. And at that time, I was doing the gang prevention um, and I was working with LAPD and I had all these volunteers and these students. We were helping um, students in sort of gang riddled neighborhood um, adjust to high school and just expanding their world. And so, you know, I had recruited everybody and then these two guys showed up and I'm like, I'm so busy, you know, first day um, that I didn't really have time to like, hey, who are you and what are you doing here? Um, so as we were doing our, you know, circle up and welcomes, um, you know, he just said who he was and um, I'm like, OK, great, fine. And he just kept coming back and coming back. Um, and I was working with a lot of kids and um, this one really rambunctious young, you know, black kid um, was just always in trouble. So I sort of had him, you know, off to the side and I was yelling at him and telling him he had to, you know, shape up. And, um, my husband was standing behind me and he didn't, you know, interrupt me. He didn't, you know, contradict me. And, you know, he's, he's a black man. And so, you know, he has a lot of influence in this community. Um, and once I finished, he said, now you get that now go back to what you were doing. And just like, for the first time, somebody had my back, like mm-hmm. literally, figuratively. Um, and, you know, and from there, you know, we are celebrating four years of marriage and 13 years of being together um, on yeah. Friday. And he's just he's he's a man and he knows who he is and there's no great. flinching. Yeah, he's, he's honest. He's kind. He takes care of me um, and allows he's me like- to be me. Yeah. yeah. And he's and he really um I have to say he he really puts together all the best parts of masculinity. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, he played like he was a running back at the University of Texas or something like yeah. I mean, he's like a dude. He's a dude's dude. He grew up in Texas. You know, he was poor, a hunter. hunting. Well, I was going to tell that story. So he was, a, you know, he hunted, you know, he's like a, a <laughs> man's man kind of dude. Yeah. Um, but he's also so, you know, he, he cooks really well. I and mean, that's how he makes his living. He's always cooking and feeding and like he's he's so nurturing he's, and he's gardening. He's he's cleaning the carpets right now. I bought <laughs> yeah, him he's a, always a, always running the vacuum. <laughs> I bought him a Bissell carpet cleaner for our anniversary. <laughs> <laughs> now get to work. He's working right now. I'm out uh, here in the cottage, so he can I do his thing. I love that story. I love the story the first the time he met oh, Dad. God. Yeah. Like, well, so they're having... Go ahead. Tell us. Yeah, story. so Mom and I are in the pool, and, you know, we're just letting, you know, them get to know each other. And within five minutes, dad comes out and says, 
did you know that Jonathan was a bounty hunter? (laughs) And I mean, dad is like not the, you know, gun toting, you know, even like using a screwdriver is not a dad's repertoire. And so I said to Jonathan, like, really? In the first five minutes you had to, but he's just like, he's who he is. And there's no... The way he told me the story, like he and dad are standing by the barbecue or whatever, you know, having that awkward, like, uh, conversation with your girlfriend's dad. And dad said to him, so, Jonathan, what what did you do for a living before you started, you know, running this catering company or something? And and Jonathan's like, look, I'm not going to lie to the dude, right? Like, I'm in love with his daughter. I'm not going to lie. So I told him I was a bounty hunter. (laughs) It's like, okay. Welcome to the You have family. to lead with that? <laughs> My God. Yeah. No, that's, I mean, I love that about him because he's yeah. never once lied to me. You know, and I've had a lot of liars in my past. And I'm just, you know, like he just gives me a sense of stability and safety. And like, I know who he is. I know what I'm going to get. I know what I'm not going to get. I know, you know, the full package. And um, it just allows me to do what I do and to... You know, there's no drama at home. There's no, um, you know, it's just peaceful. You know, and he just, you know, he cooks and he cleans and he loves the cats and, you know, he thinks I'm funny and, you know, he just lets me be me. He hangs out and watches old westerns. Oh, my God. All damn day. He's. (laughs) It's like all day, like, and then he goes out and he, and I think like, he's not lazy because then he goes out and he's redoing the whole front yard now, Um, you know, and he's so tickled pink with his plants and his flowers and, you know, but yeah, he loves him some gun smoke. (laughs) (laughs) So (laughs) never understood it. (laughs) So let's, uh, uh, you know, enough about you. Let's talk about me. Um, <laughs> oh, good. I've been waiting, but you told me we couldn't tell stories about you. <laughs> well, I, I mean, you know, as I said, I, I don't have a lot of people on this podcast who, you know, grew up with me. Certainly, uh, Mike Lang's been on the podcast, so we we yeah. reminisced a bit. Um, but I imagine, you know, people who listen to this are probably, you know, they know me. They've been some of them have been yeah. listening to me yammering on for six or seven years at this point. Um, and we talked about how, you know, looking back at your life, it it's kind of clear how you got to where you are, right? Do you yeah. look at my life and say, oh, yeah, of course my brother was going to be a fucking author, podcaster, absolutely. weirdo? Really? Uh, and yeah, absolutely. I mean, even when, you know, like, because we were four years apart, you were heading into college when I was heading into high school. You know, right. so after high school, like you never really came home again, you know, like you were spending your summers in Guatemala or Alaska or traveling or, you know, and then you were in Spain, you know, for 20 some years, um, you know, not that we didn't see you, but like you're, you were always like mom and dad and I sort of traveled our journey together, you know, and you were sort of like this balloon that was tethered but like blowing in all these different directions and um you know so i think in a lot of ways your listeners know a side of you that i don't know 
you know, and I know a side of you that they might not know, but I mm -hmm. think you're, you're the same person, you know, you've just, um, you know, I don't listen to a lot of your podcasts, just like you don't attend a lot of my board meetings or, you know, come to a lot of my events, but I love listening to your podcast because it is so you, you know, the conversations mm -hmm. that you're having, the humor that you're injecting into it, um, like there's nothing that you're hiding. Like I love your, you know, self-deprecating, you know, stories and you're like there's there's no part of your life that you're not willing to share and that's always been you. You know, that's always you've always, you know, I remember a time in Jacksonville where we had to go over to like mom and dad's friends houses and you know, for Christmas or something that we weren't really excited about. And I was in a bad mood, I think, because of something Doug did. And you, we put on the Rolling Stones and you danced around in my bedroom like Mick Jagger. And just like, there was no way that I could still be sad. Mm. Like, and you were just always trying to to entertain. And um, yeah, I mean, this is just you. Like, you've never worked hard and I mean that as a compliment <laughs> you know because like you that like that's not you you know like when you worked yeah. in the diamond district like you were miserable you were making so much money but like your soul was being just destroyed and you know you could it was like a visible you know <clears throat> tangible feeling mm. um you know and then as soon as you got out of that like you just never look back you know you just it was never again about a nine to five or, you know, having a boss or, um, you know, you were just doing your own thing. And as Mike says, like, you know, your first book was just a justification on how you were going to live your life anyway. You know, you just wanted to like tell other people like, this is how I'm living my life. And I want everybody to know, just like every time you told us that. You know, you weren't wearing underwear or something. It's like, <laughs> you don't need to share everything, but you always did. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, so. uh, yeah, and I didn't wear underwear when I was wearing loincloths. Do you remember when I would wear a <laughs> loincloth at your, home? your face cloth with a belt around it? I'll never forget oh, it. Oh, no, it wasn't a fa It was a towel. It was a full-size towel belt. <laughs> Let's, be, let's not get crazy. Face hey, cloth. Tomato, face tomato. Cloth. <laughs> Thanks a lot. <laughs> Little handkerchief with a belt around it. I just wanted uh, to see if you were listening. Oh, yeah, I'm listening. Uh, oh, yeah, no, in your yeah. Indian days, I mean, you were yeah. convinced you were yeah. an Indian and your, your room and every souvenir gift shop we passed by you had to stop to see all your people the indian you know, trading had to, yeah. yeah get your moccasins and your arrowheads and yeah 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 it's true it's funny i mean i i look at civilized to death in some ways as sort of uh you know an adult memoir expression well not, not a, a memoir but like <laughs> you know like an, an adult like i i kind of you know, that was my first intellectual passion, reading about Indians yeah. and thinking about, you know, what happened to them. And, you know, I mean, I guess both of us suffer from some kind of white guilt, you know, privilege guilt or whatever you want to call it. Um, and, and I, you know, we both have dealt with it in our personal relationships in different ways and, uh, and in our work lives. 
you know, and I kind of feel like civilized to death in some ways is me, you know, trying to express um, like, you know, we have no right to feel superior to these mm -hmm. people that we wiped out. And in so many important ways, their lives were superior to ours. And we are on the wrong side of this, you know, like mm -hmm. uh, I feel that on a profound level, emotionally, intellectually, every, and, and on every way, you know. Um, and, you know, we've been lucky enough to sort of be on both sides of a lot of these things, you know, through mm -hmm. travel and, and our experiences. And, uh, you know, we were lucky. We, not because, you know, our parents had money but because our parents loved us that that's where yeah. our luck was right because we know Absolutely. lots of people who had the same amount of money who were fucking miserable and whose parents didn't love them and mm -hmm. it's not about the money it's it's about the the love and um yeah it's it's as you said you know you come back from traveling around the world and you see like oh i grew up in a society that doesn't value community what the fuck mm -hmm. is wrong with us you know it's yeah. It's uh, when it's I over, remember I guess, walking down. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, it, you know, in our own ways, both of us are trying to address that, you know, that that mm -hmm. fundamental um, uh, dysfunction of our own society. Yeah, when I think in a lot of ways, you know, watching all these stories about, you know, Ahmad Amory, you know, being killed and like tracked down and killed. And nothing happening until, you know, other people got involved. And I mean, that just makes my my heart hurt, you know, in such a, a way. And the only thing I can do is take care of the community that is right here in front of me. You know, like I can't change the entire, you know, the way we look at black people or the way we incarcerate black people or the way, you know, the police department goes after black people. Um, but, you know, when I was working with gang prevention, I was in the courtroom all the time. Like I was going up against LAPD, um, you know, where it's like, you can't do this to this kid, you know, because I can't change the system, um, yeah. you know, but I can change pieces of the system. I can try to, you know, get in front of people, you know, and I worked with Chief Bratton. And so when one of my kids was unjustly arrested, like I was able to go to you know, the assistant chief and say, like, look, I need answers. And, you know, he got me answers. But, you know, a lot of people don't have that privilege. And so I really try to use my privilege, not for personal gain, but for those that don't understand and don't have that privilege, you know, that they, they don't have a privilege that they can use. So I was able to go into a courtroom and be like, here's a binder on who this kid is. Like, I know you have a police report, but that's bullshit. And like, you have to, if you're gonna read that, then you also have to read this, mm -hmm. um, you know? And so, you know, those kids deserved a chance. And, you know, I'm grateful that I was able to be a part of their journey. And that's really, um, you know, what I love about my job is I'm a part of these kids journey and I'm not here to, you know, change their trajectory. I'm here to allow them to change their trajectory. 
You know, I'm, you know, you can get into school and we'll make sure you have stable housing and, you know, we'll make sure that you have it furnished and you have food and you have a job and you understand, you know, our internship is one of my favorite things that we do because we give these kids a job and we allow them to see like that work ethic that I established over, you know, my entire lifetime living with dad, you know, it's like, here's a chance for you to understand, like, what what a, what your manager is expecting of you and why you know again is that transparency is like let me tell you what's happening in this system because you haven't been a part of the professional world you right. know you've lived in a bubble so let me tell you you know what this other part of the bubble is going to expect of you and you know i have really high expectations of them you know not because they were in foster care and I'm certainly not going to lower my expectations, but because they should have high expectations. Mom and dad had incredibly high expectations, but if we failed, they were okay with that too. You know, they allowed us to live in a non-judgmental, you know, non, you know, like this is what you, you have to be a doctor. You know, mom and dad never said that to either one of us, you know, this is what you should do. I know. But, you know, they just always like you want to travel around the world by yourself as a woman. Okay, you know, like I'm going to put my emotions aside because it's important to you. You know, they never got in our way of doing anything. Yeah. Did you I I was talking with someone earlier this morning um, about, you know, this person I was talking to is traveling and and her parents are worried about her. Um, Mm. And so we're talking about like, she's got to have this conversation with her parents where she's going to say like, I'm growing up, you know, I'm sorry that this freaks you out, but this is what I'm doing. You're going to have to deal with that. Right. It's that conversation. Um, and, and I was sort of, you know, trying to, um, express a little bit from the parents point of view of like, you know, when I look back on some of my travels and things I did, I wince uh, at the pain that it would have caused to yeah. mom and dad and you if something had gone wrong. You know, like I'm riding a fucking motorcycle in Thailand and almost run into an elephant. Like, you know, that's that Jesus, you know, or if I'd gone, gotten in prison in fucking Mexico or, you know, I mean, there's so, Mm -hmm. and I was thinking like, or died by a scorpion bite, you know, like, (laughs) for example, yeah, for Um, example, but, but, you know, like here I am, you know, my, my parents have like struggled and sacrificed to send me to this liberal arts college and, you know, pay my way. And I'm like, okay, now I'm going to hitchhike to Alaska. And they're like, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you know, you're going to, you're putting your fate at the hands of strangers along a highway in fucking Nevada. Like really, they never said anything to me about that. No, But looking back on it, I know they must've suffered. They must've like been you know, at least mom freaking mm. out. I'm sure, you know, dad was like, you know, go get him, kid. Yeah. But I wish. Yeah, I wish I could do that. Yeah. 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 I mean, did you I see mean, I, any of that at home? Like the stuff no. that I wasn't seeing? Not at all. No, because they they were never they never wanted to keep us 
in a safe place. You know, I mean, like, mom and I were talking about my motorcycle accident the other day. Like, that was really hard for her because she wouldn't even let you ride a motorcycle, yet you were riding a motorcycle for 20 years and, like, don't tell mom. I'm like, okay. Um, You know, but, I mean, like, to me, that was the hardest phone call, you know, that they needed to hear. But I was okay, you know, but um, they never they never once said, like, you know, Chris should really be home in his bedroom here and wherever we were. Um, they were just so proud of you. Like, you were living your life and you were living the life that, you know, dad didn't get to grow up to have himself, you know. But he loved writing this book with you and editing and, you know, like, that just brought him so much joy. So they've never you know, in front of me, you know, whatever conversations they had on their own, obviously I'm not privy to, but they never once said, you know, like, gee, Chris should be doing this or doing that, or, you know, shouldn't be with this person or should be with that person or like, they just never, that that's just not part of who they are. You know, they, they saw us for who we were and who we were, were the people that needed to travel around the world and needed to go to Alaska and needed to, you know, be married, you know, to somebody that we all knew I wasn't going to stay with. Um, (laughs) Yeah. I mean, even dad, like we're, yeah, go ahead. You go ahead. I was just saying, even dad walking me down the aisle, like to, to the left was, you know, the ceremony and all of our friends and neighbors. And he tried to turn me to the right to the parking lot. And I'm like, Dad, <laughs> now, now's not the time for this conversation. You know, we, we'll, we'll have this conversation in a couple of years when I'm leaving him. But you can for still now, get let's, away. Yeah. Let's take a left turn here. OK, big guy. Yeah. <laughs> so but, you know, do you, think, do, even, you, do you think mom and dad ever thought I was gay? Oh, we all thought you were gay. <laughs> Seriously? Yeah, but I mean, not, not in a way was, that like we cared. It was like, you uh, know, your your professor at um Hobart that I stayed in his apartment. Like, uh-huh. you know, if something would have been happening with him, I wouldn't have been surprised. But at the same time it wasn't like we never we never thought you were gay. Like bisexual bi. would be the, uh, yeah, because right. I mean, like you also loved women always, yeah. you know, there was always that. So, but I mean, there was a time cared. when most of my friends were gay and, and I, I realized yeah. that like a lot of people on campus thought I was gay and whatever. Um, and then at some point you guys came to visit, I don't remember. And I remember just getting this feeling like, I think they might think I'm gay. Like it's, it's weird or, or bi or whatever, like. You know, it was, and, it was but never it, a big but it was conversation because nobody ever, right? Nobody yeah. ever like seemed. There was no judgment. Yeah, right, it was just like, right. oh, he might be sleeping with that guy, you know. Yeah. But it was never a like, oh, I wonder, you know, how other, you know, it's just there was no judgment ever. It was just yeah. like, oh, that might be happening, and they're like, oh, what are we gonna have for dinner? <laughs> you know, it's like, it wasn't. Uh, it wasn't a major trauma or drama in our lives. Yeah. Uh, Beth, thank you for doing this. You're the best. I'm super this was proud fun. of you. I'm proud of you too. Tell people, um, you know, I, most of my audience is probably, you know, as broke as we are. So I, I don't think there are a lot of uh, millionaires who listen to this podcast, but you never know who's out there listening. 
So if somebody is listening and they love what you're doing and they want to like give some money to help you with this project, where do they go? Uh, the best place to go is to our website. So it's www.steppingforwardla.org. And you can learn all about my my bio and the board and the staff and the programs that we do and see the faces of the young adults that we work with. And there's also a donut, a donate, not a donut. A donut. Um, <laughs> we have a donut page. So if you'd like to buy donuts for the kids, um, a donate page. Um, and again, every little bit helps and, um, you know, it all goes towards the kids and the programs that we run. And, um, you know, we're just, again, trying to be that extended family for them. And we'd love to have you, to join us, you know, and it's tax deductible. You're registered. Yep. 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 So it's all, all right. And you, and my emails on there, if, you know, people have questions or they want to learn more about foster care. Um, you know, there's lots of great books and movies and, um, and I'm happy to, to email and hop on the phone with anybody as well. They're amazing kids. Their stories deserve to be told and we'd love your support. Indeed. And there are a couple of them I want to have on the podcast. We always have trouble scheduling it, but. So I know well, he's getting his PhD at UCLA and he just got married also. Oh, yeah. So yeah. he's, yeah. he's living the life. Yeah. He'll be president one day. So get him on your podcast soon. Well, I still can. Yeah. 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 It gets too he's, important for me. Yeah. Well, he's already too important. Apparently. It's a good yeah. point. I've invited him on a bunch. Was his name Devante? Demonte, yeah. Demonte. Demonte Thompson, yeah. yeah. And he has a twin, yeah. Demonte. Great guy. Right. Yeah, we'll get him on. Yeah, we'll get him on. Cool. All right. Thank you, Beth. Uh, and thank anyone you, who wants to uh, support this program, I definitely can vouch for this lady. Okay, Mom. Uh, tell people what they can order from the garage. Okay. In our cottage garage, we have lots and lots of t shirts. Sex at Dawn. Civilized to Death, Vanthropology, Tangentially Speaking, Paleo Modern, and Talking Out of My Ass. <laughs> she didn't like saying that last one. Then we now have some new things added. We've got beer cozies or koozies or whatever they're called. Oh, Civilized to Death design. They're all Civilized That's to right. Death. We have stickers and car decals. Right? Yes. Okay. There you have it. That's Julie, my mom. He said, baby, what's a big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? I'm gonna die one day. Why do you waste your time thinking about your reputation? Trying to meet an expectation, wondering what they're gonna say. When everyone you've ever known is headed for a headstone. Doesn't ask for much A little music and a soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is 
to the ground. 